Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Are we running, Code? We're, we're live. Cool. All right. So, Born and Raised Audio Experience. We're back, guys. Um, we are with a special guest today, mm. Mr. Matt Elliott. Special guest, special friend. Special guests, sometimes friends. All yeah. sorts of <laughs> and all sorts of other types of special. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, um, it's been pretty cool the last couple of days. Matt came down. We I've been doing a little bit of fishing around here for some striped bass, and um, anyway, came down and we went out and we caught some fish. <laughs> yeah, we did. Not a lot. No, I wouldn't say a lot. No, there was some fish that we did, had we, come we, off. We kept the one and a half average. Cody, he, he made a really good showing. <laughs> made a really good showing, actually. That, that light action steelhead rod's really good throwing a two ounce plug. Yeah, it's not not not. Great. I almost got Matt once, Trent maybe once. Ah, wasn't bad. Just skim the hair. I ducked. It but. was it was almost. Uh, I think it was a one and three quarter average actually at the end because Trent oh, the got his tail, tail bit off. Oh, yeah. good. So I knocked our average down even more. Good. No, it, yeah. it went up, right? Don't well, you get? Not for landed fish. No, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Not for but meat in the, the cooler. The cool thing, we both both caught our first striper. We did. See, that was my goal. Yeah. Yeah. My goal was to not catch anything, and I pretty much achieved that, too. So, <laughs> happy people all the way around. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to talk shit, but I decided not to. Uh, hey, I appreciate that. Yeah. I really because do. Because you were running the boat. <laughs> yeah. We were going so fast. And I was standing up on the front. Yeah, that was cool. That was sketchy. That's what Trevor does. But but no, Matt, um, well, Matt, as as you guys probably, if anybody's followed social media and all of Matt's 282 followers? 280 followers, yeah. That post yesterday should have bumped you up. It may have. I'm hoping to see that. How is it done <laughs> on the 12 hours? So? Yeah. Oh. Did you check it? I've been, yeah, you know, I, I check my... I check everything, all the metrics daily. Daily. <laughs> Trevor, daily. Trevor he Look made it. this post once on his own page. He's like, I only got 37 likes after a 24-hour soak. <laughs> so, like we're Alaskan crab fishing, you know? It's awesome. Oh, man. Yeah. Can you get those numbers up? I, t- I like to tease Lacey sometimes about my social media following dominance. Hey, after we this are talking podcast, two hundred and eighty. Wasn't it two hundred followers with no K on the end? This is two hundred and eighty flat. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 I gotcha. I can't get it all, and I can't like that many. It sucks because you know I've heard you got to keep your ratio so you have more people following you than you're following. So I'm at two seventy five and two eighty right now. <laughs> so I need some more so I can follow some more people. Okay, so is that a true story? Is it Matteo yeah. underscore Elliot? On Instagram, uh, Mateo. Mateo, yeah. Yes, yeah. underscore. And there's Elliot. your first problem right yeah. there. There's number one. Yeah, Mateo. Okay. So, well, we got to get those numbers up, guys. So if you're listening, you're on Instagram. <laughs> give Matt a follow. I'll put the link in the description. Oh yeah. DM him late too. He actually <laughs> please, answers any time of the day. Please help me with my dream come true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, but no, so so Matt used to work, actually, started out our relationship or friendship, whatever you want to call it, started out Benchmate is where you worked. Yeah, Ty, Ty was the one that, with OHA. That yeah. It was Jason Rice, who was the customer service manager at the time, knew Ty. He said, you got to meet these guys. We should sponsor them. And I was the marketing manager at the time for Benchmade. Okay. So I fed, I met Ty, who, you know, hard guy not to like, very jovial character, and Gave, started, yeah. yeah, sent a whole box full of knives. And was that still in the Lone that Wolf? Was the, or was it Lone it, Wolf? Did we send you Lone Wolf knives? Maybe the first I time. think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. They were Lone Wolf knives at that point. That was like the last year, maybe, yeah. of Lone Wolf. And then the Hunt series. Benjamin that Hunt was the series. genesis, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool to think about. But now you're at WorkSharp, so, and you've had this job for, when did you? One year and one month. Is that what it, okay, mm-hmm. 13 months. So, so yeah. Um, What's your role there? still cool, the though. Director of Marketing. Director of Marketing. Mm-hmm. Which is what my role was at Benchmade, and maybe it sounds odd, but I actually, job titles are not of importance to me, and they're not of importance at Derek's, really, yeah. either. It's just not, that's not the thing. That's not why people work it's more about the purpose and sure 
the ability to work on business strategy at a high level is what's important. I don't care what you want to call me. Call me the janitor if, you, if I get to work on business strategy and work with people and for people. That's so you what you I'm about. like said develop strategy team implements then kind of reevaluate how does that all what's your what's a day in the life of Matt Elliott there at workshop oh boy here we go it's <laughs> a good be question good. you know i uh a turkey hunt before work turkey right? hunt before work maybe have a call with the leadership team in the morning talk about key things going for the week uh, you know it's, there's a very dynamic strategy and a lot of different sort of arms of different things that different teams and people are doing. Really, I would say a day in the life of myself is dependent mostly on what the team needs on any given day. Hmm. So it just depends day to day. So you kind of take the attitude that you work for them, essentially, instead of them working for you? I work with them. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I like that. And yeah. that's not always what people need, though. You right. know, I, there are times where like I remember we were when we were building this new strategic model as a group. It was really working with the team and you know, like we did it in a very integrative and collaborative way. And there was this moment we'd gone through rounds and rounds of this, built it up from zero, from nothing, you know, what our strategy was for three years as we're you know, working towards the goal in twenty twenty three, which is really it's to be there's a more of a deeper why behind it but how we refer to it is to be the knife sharpening company mm -hmm. and there's this moment where we're going through this you know i had the team got in the room and i had everything up on the board and we have you know like different it's sort of if you look at it there's I don't, we don't need to get too deep into this but there's operational excellence which is really like about how you execute the biz, the, the logistical or the business end, like what you said you like to work on, Trent. Mm -hmm. And then there's the brand differentiation, which is really probably more like what you like to work on, Cody, which is more like your go-to-market strategy and how marketing and product development and sales all connect, right? So I bet I could draw a line right down between the two of you guys, and that's probably about how the strategy would split. And then you've got like what we would call key business drivers, like big big things that ladder up to what your target goal is and then underneath that is the tactics that support that and you've got different teams that work on building those tactics or driving them forward they'd be like like you've got the the main goal is to win the war or whatever right, and yeah. then here are the major beachheads and then within those beachheads it's like this this team needs to take out that machine gun tower and this team needs to storm this beach and get up this cliff and kill those guys or you know and everybody sort of has different things there operating too and so I like got this whole thing drawn out on the board and I'm, like I'm looking at the team and I can just see they're just like dude like can you please just be the director right now and like take charge tell us what yeah okay so tell us now like great I'm glad we've all got a chance to give you our input we've been through three rounds of this now like just finalize it for us so that we can start yeah, and there is a point in time where I do think in leadership, it's like you want to be collaborative. It's really about celebrating other people's ideas, combining them. You know, it's like more of a choreography. And then there comes a point in time where it is your responsibility to take on the accountability for the group and say, okay, now here's, Let's own this and go. here's where we're going. We don't know exactly where the path is going to lead us, but okay, thanks for figuring out where we're going. Yes, that's the mountain we're going to go to. And... What you really want is just a. We were talking about this. Mm -hmm. I think you and I. Yeah. Yesterday, you know, it's like. What I what you want is you don't know what the pathway is going to be, but you want to have people on the team who are able to adapt to whatever you encounter on the path. Much like hunting. Yes. You know where you're going. You know what the objective is to kill an elk, and you know you're probably going to get to that mountain, but you might kill the elk halfway in the middle. You don't know how it's going to unfold, and you have to be able to adapt when it happens. Totally. Or to change strategies. Yes, or to change, exactly. Right, right. Yep. No, I've, we've dealt with a lot of that <laughs> through the years, yeah. that is for sure. Just like, oh, wow. Well, that didn't work. Let's yeah. throw another thing at the wall, hope it sticks. See what happens here, you know, and it's, man, that's what we, we were talking. We, Matt and I had a brief time yesterday before Cody showed up and, and just sat down and talked about just, you know, what 
born and raised and and where we've come from and the, the past that we've had and how we started and uh it kind of came down to taking risks you know it came down to just like matt was he was saying man that must have been just crazy like going well i don't know if this is going to work i'm going to quit my job i'm going to do all these big big things you know and and take a risk and yeah yeah it's uh it's, it's really the ability to embrace the unknown and like have the confidence in yourself and everybody around you that unknown is going to be comfortable at some point yeah but then you get to that point and you go to the next uncomfortable you know but i think there's also a negative into being too comfortable in the uncomfortable right you know what i mean i think that can then it ladders over like too risky and you put yourself in yeah 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 i would say for sure i bet and we've been on that tipping point a couple different times a few different times e maybe that was the best you know hindsight's 2020 but i think that if you if people always try to live in the perfect you know then they live that safe choice all the time Mm -hmm. and there's good living to be had there but oh yeah i think there's also that adventure kind of that it reinvigorates things you know so you don't have that staleness in what you're doing yeah um so there's a in business hunting whatever you know uncomfortable with discomfort for sure and there is something that's very synonymous i think in hunting and what adventurers seek and that mindset in leadership that you know they can find a lot of things that are synonymous you know one of the big things there anymore is i we don't really live in a world anymore you know people are freaked out about covid and you know like whatever else is happening in the world right now i was talking to my mom about this the other day it's like you know like okay that's true but also you know like 250 years ago I'd be like let's go down to the town square and watch the be you know, like what are you doing with the kids oh we're going down to this town square to go watch the beheading you know like it's going to be awesome we're going to go watch the guy get drawn and quartered it's like it's it's actually we live in actually a, a pretty beautiful easy existence especially people in the United States not to downplay that it's tougher maybe than it was a year ago but it's still way better than it was 150 years ago it's real we don't crazy yeah, we don't get the we don't live in a place or a time anymore where we're forced into a strife or challenge to exist. Not in the same way. So for adventurers, you actually have to seek that type of challenge and force yourself into that position. Otherwise, you don't have that kind of experience. And You think life is too complacent nowadays a little bit? No. I think that people who want for challenge will find it. And people who don't want for challenge will avoid it. Yeah. I do think the difference is, is that before, even if you didn't want to, you had you kind of had to be there. And if you were so adverse to it, back in whatever, let's call it ancient times, like he is the, the Spartans where they'd kick their kids out into the woods. If you if you didn't want for challenge or you weren't up for the challenge, you did you ceased to exist. Yeah. And that's not true anymore. Yeah, I I mean I think I've, I follow yeah. this like with Gary Vee, he talks about you know, being raised from immigrants in the U.S. And like when his dad came, like they started very small, they worked their tail off. There was 10 people living in a one bedroom apartment. And like that grit from their previous existence, like they don't want to go back to that. So they, you know, they double down and work their tail off to get everything that they earn. I think a lot of people now see the success in someone or something and they want to shortcut the work to get to that point you know they they really they don't and and i guess this is like they don't enjoy the journey of getting to the destination they just want the destination yeah and it's like at the end of it the journey is what it was all about yeah that the funny part about or the kind of maybe the the contrasting part of that is the is the achievers who enjoy the journey they don't enjoy the destination very much yeah Mm, you know so you have this the balance there for some i think they can find the balance but they're there it's really about the adventure seeking it's about the challenge that's i think it was yvonne chenard was watching it there's a cool documentary with him and the founder of north face who oh yeah yeah, yeah, past, yeah, seen exactly, that? yeah. and there's a point in time where he's talking about it. he's like we would get to the tops of these mountains and we're like okay cool like let's i guess we go down now yeah yeah you know, like no big it's not about being at the top of the mountain 
It was about the adventure of getting there. And that's the mindset that puts you in the seat of enjoying the discomfort, which is, like if you guys didn't enjoy the suck of it, or at least the fulfillment that comes from that on the back end, you know, a lot of times hunts are like, they suck in the middle of the hunt. And then as soon as you're done, it's like, oh man, you're like, remember that and this and that. But when you're in the middle of it, you're like, oh. A lot of times though, it's like brutal. you're there, you're like, oh, I can't wait for this to be over. And then the yeah. second you get home, it's like, oh, I can't wait to be back there. Yes. I usually give it three days, three days. Then you want to kind of hear a bugle again. You kind of want to, you know, you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, that's, yeah, that's why I bought a motorcycle. So <laughs> it's about the journey, right? A street motorcycle? Yeah, I did sell that last year. No, I, Harley. It's, it was fun. It was awesome. Don't have kids and have a Harley, guys. Just, just don't do it because it turns they're just freedom killers is all they are. So. <laughs> That would be the my, kids. Yeah, the kids are. Yeah. So. Just couldn't watch the Harley collect dust anymore. It hurt. It hurt. But I wanted to see someone ride it, you know, as far as that. Yeah. Anyway, I think that was a little tangent there. Let's get back to <laughs> storming the beaches in Normandy and cutting people's heads <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> we could do that. Uh, but no, like from a business standpoint, like your happiness at WorkSharp, it's, it's cool to see like, and I'm not saying Benchmade, you are unhappy by any means, but like people progress. Benchmade people progress in their in their journey on whatever they want to accomplish and achieve and and it's been really really fun i mean just watching you and uh it's just striving for greatness every single you know step of the way through your little journey that you've been and being a part of it you know mm-hmm. through us it's been it's been a lot of fun well and yeah. selfishly i love it because we've got to spend a lot more time together than last year yeah there you go yeah it's been awesome yeah. and we yeah it's like we were just saying before you hit record, we we're always like, oh, you're like now, oh, yeah. we're so much closer now. We're like, okay, well, we're, you're kind of yeah, half, half hour. So we were in Portland and then we moved to Medford, you're in Roseburg, which is almost dead middle. Pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close to yeah. dead middle of the two, but for some reason it does feel closer because both would be described as Southern Oregon. Like you wouldn't say Roseburg, that's Central Coast Oregon. Right. It's, it's like the north end of Southern Oregon, maybe. And maybe because when you lived in Portland, we always thought maybe, I guess, that it's like, well, he's in Portland. He's, you know, he's, he's way busy. He's way busy. Yeah, I don't know if that's a, you know, that's a, even a does thing. It, he's probably, does he's probably say, too, he's probably eating at Ruth's Chris right now. Guaranteed. He's guaranteed. Does, does the pace of life differ in Medford just overall mm-hmm. than, than in that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's very different. And one of the things that I, it's, it's changed now, but not as much. Like, I bet it would be a much more dramatic change in Portland just because of the politics of it. You know, like people in Medford aren't quite as, I don't know what, how to say this right, but you know, maybe they don't, they're not quite as compliant. You know, they, they're, they have their own views and, and people in Portland have their own views and it, people have continued to keep more social of their social circles in Southern Oregon be one way to say it. And, even still, before all of this stuff happened, one of the things I noticed with the slower pace was people were a lot friendlier. You know, like I, oh. which was strange to get used to. You know, and Portland's not a totally unfriendly place. I mean, it's not like New York. Like nobody's. If you yeah. if you said hi to people, like Emily Walking Sloan down. at Benchmade, she came from originally from California, but then lived in New York, worked at Kimber, and and then we'd hired her at Benchmade, and she was like when she first got to Oregon. People would say hi to her, and she's like, "What? Like, what am I? Yeah, is something wrong? Like, what? this is weird, you know." And I had a bit of the same experience going from Portland then to Medford. I'd be like in a park with my dogs, and some woman would just strike up a conversation with me for 15 minutes, which is totally my speed. Yeah, so I love that. People yeah. are just hap- seem happier, slower pace, more comfortable with each other. You should move to Myrtle Point. You could have dinner at a different house every night if you wanted yeah yeah right and it, it just kind of steps down that way as the population density shrinks yeah the, there you the go. smaller it gets the happier seems like because i've like just taught we just hired jake and and uh, and tyler from back east they live in new jersey and that's all they've talked about so far is i can't believe how people how nice, uh, people, how nice are. people are how yeah. people like wave at each other when they're driving and i'm like you know maybe everybody needs a little bit more of that in their life they do wouldn't that be cool 100 percent they do it's, kindness matters it well and it's not hard i mean it, it's not hard to do it's not hard to, to to say you know 
have a great day or any, you know stuff like that it's pretty easy waving it secret to life you know like if you want to, the happier the nicer you are to other people the happier you'll be and the nicer they'll be to you yep yeah yeah totally agree. and you get into these places where the pace of life is higher and you don't have time for that anymore well eventually that reprograms you and that soul-fulfilling happiness of just reaching out to each other for no reason leads to a place where the, the happiness isn't quite as high. Yeah. Yeah. Even you if can, you're an introvert. As you can hear the log trucks go by the house <laughs> uh, in the background. So what do you, season-wise, elk season is right now somewhere around two and a half weeks yeah. away. Uh, where are we at this year? What are we doing? Give us, give us Matt's rundown on elk season this year. I've got opening weekend. I'll go back up and hunt the north coast. Oh, the, really? Yeah. Well, they're gonna, Roosevelt so, or Rocky? Roosevelt. Okay. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make as many rounds as I can in different places in Oregon this year because the future of Oregon hunting will be very different. I don't know if you guys have talked about that at all on the give podcast yet. Give us your opinion. Yet, but yeah. I don't actually know what my... I don't have an opinion other than I, I know they're making changes to the regulations. I hope it doesn't turn into what Washington is exactly, but I, I think it won't be entirely dissimilar where you're going to, I don't know if we'll have to pick west or east, but I know that at least I'm pretty sure all of the eastern units will be limited entry units. Then I, what I don't know is can you apply for those units, then you don't draw one, so then I can just go buy a western elk tag. That's what I'm guessing will happen. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going to be able to hunt east and west in the same year anymore. So I'll hunt opening weekend in the northwest corner of the state for Rosies. Where at? Like, <laughs> like, uh, like what do you kidding. mean? Just, like kind of the general area of the kidding. northwest area of the northwest, if I'm you know just, what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So north then of the, Salem, yeah. west of Portland. West of Portland. Kind of in that... Uh, so that's just opening weekend? Is that just Portland like a hoorah area? for a, a two-dayer? Yeah, probably. I'll oh, really? probably take off through Monday. Okay. You know, with then, Gus or by yourself? Or? No, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to hunt with Gus. You know, he usually has a drive-in permit. And actually this year, some of the warehouser stuff, you can bring guests. I think for 50 bucks, you can get a two- or a three-day guest pass. Which oh, is really? Like, and they did that last year, I think, too, which would be they, cool. I heard they sold out up there in, like, minutes. Oh, yeah. It's like you have to refresh your screen, kind of the same deal. Kind of like the Idaho Tech. Into with <laughs> Idaho Tech. <laughs> that we didn't get. Yeah. Walk-in permits usually don't sell out in minutes, but maybe they did this year, too. But that's what we'll hunt, just walk-in bicycle stuff. Oh, okay. My friend Patrick and I. And then... Yeah, I'd love to hunt with Gus. Sometimes we'll stay at his place like the morning before because it's fun to see him and Tori and see those boys are getting bigger. You know, he's just such a wealth of knowledge of Roosevelt elk hunting like you guys are. And then I'll go over to Idaho with Zach for nine, ten days. This is Zach Bohe Zach Bohe. Hunt DIY? Yep, Hunt DIY. He's uh, He is the gear editor for western hunter magazine okay also oh is he okay mm -hmm. cool then, so that's a 10 dayer yeah that's okay. a 10 dayer so that'll be week two it's like september 4th through the 14th okay 15th then the third week in oregon fourth weekend i guess it is like the 19th or so i'm gonna hunt eastern oregon and then i'll put in a longer stint in eastern oregon for the last weekend i'm trying to talk a buddy of mine from central tennessee to come out too because you know the non-resident opportunity in oregon is such that if they make every unit in the, we've been putting it off for a long time but if if it's a draw unit, your chances of drawing anything in Oregon is not right. are very it's small. Yeah. Very small. So I, I called him a week ago when I was driving back from the bow rack after getting my bow tuned up. And, you know, I, just, I was thinking about it. I thought, shoot, this might be the last time we would ever have the opportunity to hunt Oregon together if he wanted to. Yeah. That'd yeah. be fun. It would be. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens. It's, yeah, it's just interesting to see... Um, different states management approaches you know we've kind of hunted you know most utah is the only kind of utah and washington are kind of the only exceptions of the elk states Correct. that we haven't been in yet and, and california 
Yeah, I guess California. Oh, but you said elk states. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but you know, Wyoming for for residents is a pretty amazing state. It's tougher for non-residents. Idaho, I think they've got a pretty cool approach with the zone deal. So it's not one unit but multiple. I'm inter- I'm wondering if they're gonna take that approach in Oregon and do some zones. Uh, talking with Wayne, so we had Wayne. If you guys listen to the podcast, the future of elk hunting in Oregon that. And it was pretty good insight. There was definitely some group units. He's the guy that has his finger on the pulse more than most. Very much so. Wayne, Wayne's done a fantastic job of representing bow hunters in general, I would say, yes. to the commission. Yes. Um, Thank you, Wayne. Yeah. yeah. And um, so there's and there's some stuff about deer, too. It's not just elk. Oh, there is some deer yeah, stuff coming. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Those groups, you know, I think it applies to both deer and elk and how they're going to break that down. Um, my whole thing, though, is they want to increase opportunity and it's like we talked about in the boat today you got to have a good product to sell to increase the opportunity and it really comes down in you know our opinion or what we've seen is predator management here you know other states have good predator management elk populations are flourishing so it's kind of like trying to put a band-aid on something that's just gushing blood so Mm -hmm. it's it's a I don't know where it's going to go from here. It's tough because Oregon's like home state and it's our probably least favorite state to hunt elk in anymore. Yeah, you're at a, we're at a real, between a real rock and a hard place in this state where the people who are, a lot of the people who are making the mandates and the legislation around things like predator management don't know shit about it. About you know, any about, about wildlife management, about uh, the fact that hunting is conservation, about the fact that those dogs live, literally that is their purpose, they live to hunt cats and yeah. bears. Yeah. Nothing more in the world, they, they don't want to sit on your couch, no. Mr. Politician or Mrs. Politician. Yeah. That is not what those dogs are there for. And they're making the laws, and then we've got really, I think biologists who, who really care about good wildlife management practices, but they're hamstrung. Yep. Because yep. what are they supposed to do about predator management? And now, you know. and it turned into a political deal, really. On that, it wasn't even a management thing. No. It was just solely based on emotion. And the political climate in Oregon is pretty rough because the population base, metro area, runs the state. But does you know if you look at the majority of the landscape, different thoughts. But yeah. driven from the city, it. And there's a huge density of like-minded people who really know conservation and are all for dog hunting in the Portland area, too. They're just not the majority. Yeah. Even though there's lots of them. Right, yeah. 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 I'm not saying if you live in a city, you're making the wrong choice. No. No. And that's, it's quite the, it's quite the deal. And the real unfortunate part, I mean, in some ways, yes, we have. A, I think we have a God-given right to hunt as the keepers of the land, as the managers of creation. But there's also the fact that the purpose of that is for good conservation and wildlife management. That's where well, a lot of it comes actually from recreational shooters from Pittman Robertson with all the ammunition they buy. But you know, a lot of it also comes from the sale of license and tags and. Like that's where all of this money is coming from for the management of it. The real unfortunate part about this where people have it backwards, let's say like no, no hunting with dogs. The thing that ultimately suffers from those types of rules is the deer, the elk, the bears, the cats. You know, not allowing management to keep things in balance isn't good for any of it. Yeah. So, but. It's, yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it, it is. And I'll be curious to see where Oregon goes with the whole thing. And we were talking the other day as far as it's never, it doesn't ever seem like it's a great thing for things to start top, you know, your access to start getting less and less and less. It seems like when, once something is taken away, it's not coming back. Never. It, it just yeah. it doesn't seem like, okay, yeah, like we're talking about. Uh, the salmon fishing on the uh, Coquille River. You know, it used to be clear up to Arag. I mean, it used to be clear up to the Powers Junction, you know, or wherever. And now 
you can't fish and slowly yearly they actually crept it down and down and down to where now you can't even go past the 101 bridge to salmon fish so it's like do you see that ever opening up to be better in the future it hasn't shown that that's it for sure blew me away when you told me that i yeah. hadn't fished the coquille how long, long has it time. been uh, a decade okay yeah you know, and i just had had this you were idea. in the heyday then yeah oh in the heyday 20 you, you couldn't almost not have a 20 fish day yeah you know, the, like literally the, i was telling you yeah. i hooked a fish in this really deep hole that's right down by Arago, they obviously can't fish Down anymore. From the house I could here. not catch up to this fish as fast as I could reel. This thing was coming straight up off the bottom on a bobber in 18 feet of water. Hooked this fish, running a huge. My bobber knot was way into my reel. I hooked this fish and I'm reeling as fast as I can, trying to catch up. And it jumps like eight feet into the air. It's like a 20 pound hen, and it's going to land on both of my buddies who are standing at the transom fishing. They they didn't see any of this, you know. And I caught up to it at the very last minute and flapped it down over the gunnel back into the water you know they're turning around like What's i would have let, <laughs> oh, let it fly that would have not that would have been bad somebody would have had whiplash like gopro would have caught that yeah. <laughs> gopro should have caught that youtube gold is what we call that yeah that's yeah. and that was really it really surprised me when you said that because yeah. after you know 10 years ago if somebody asked me i wouldn't have told them where right you know but let's say they said i'll i'll never tell anybody and i don't fish you know what's what do you think the best river in the state for salmon fishing is i would have said the coquille yeah no, it, it was it was amazing. Not, not anymore. My father-in-law fishes salmon like religiously all year, and uh, last year I think he caught one. Yeah, it's horrible. There was a guy, his buddy, he fished thirty-seven days straight and never got a fish. Fished every single day. Yeah. So I mean, it, there there's definitely a definitely an issue there, and I mean you could bring up sea lions, you could bring up a lot of different things, you know, and but. They, we don't, I don't, we've never had that I know of a hatchery on this, on, on our system here. And, but why did it used to be so good? And then now it's just terrible. I mean, one thing that just really scares me is overall safety of the sport, right? Or the, like the protection of what our kids, you know, if we already experienced the good old days, I mean, I literally feel like Roosevelt hunting, we experienced the peak of it. It, you know, not very long ago, five, seven years ago. And, um, you know, what is that going to be when my son turns 12 or when he's 25 or 30? Like, is there going to be a season or is this all going to be draw and you can't get a tag? What What does it look like? They'll have their own good old days. Yeah. yeah. And I totally agree. I was thinking about it. literally when we were standing. I think they'll have different good old days. Yeah. I was standing looking at the Coquille River after we got off the river today and was thinking about the good old days, like ex this exact thing. It's like, man, like it's crazy that I remember when I was a kid, I used to hear the guys talking about, oh, the good old days. And I wonder like, okay, well, I now I remember the good old days and what will the good old days be yeah. for our children? And it, it is possible though, that over time, the idea of the good old days, there it really is a slippery slope, but you don't recognize it. You just see it at one point and then you see it slide worse. So it could be progressively sliding and our good old days may not be actually as good as the good old days oh, were when we were kids, right? And it's just- 100% downward yeah, slide. Yeah. Which is how you wind up in that slippery slope to decimation. So I could see why you'd be worried about that. You don't recognize, humans don't recognize it. We have this like real bad habit over and over as history repeats itself. Don't seem to recognize the value in things until it's scarce. You know, it's just an economic principle of scarcity and demand. And it's like, oh, salmon are, salmon are valuable. We need to really start working for this resource after we didn't put a, a fish ladder in at the Grand Coulee and all the June hogs died and you know it's like oh wait we they're not unlimited and it just continues to repeat itself like one I've been wondering about it's like what about tuna you know like it's like no holds bar catch as many as you want it was like that at one point for salmon too you know and it's just like slowly kind of diminished then everybody's got tuna boats now because the salmon aren't here anymore and, and then oh shit the, the tuna are almost gone you know maybe it's like 25 years in the future we got to protect the tuna yeah that being said we're getting a tuna boat i'm just throwing that out i'm coming man just throwing that another bucket there. list hey wait we're 25 a piece a day 
25 apiece. I don't even, I don't, that was the limit last year anyway. That is a lot. That's a lot of fish. That's a lot of work. That's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do it about every year or every other year, and it's a lot of work. It's, yeah. a, it's a two and a half days of a lot of work. But is that because of the cleaning that you have to do? Canning. Yeah, canning. Yeah, I mean, it's mm. the catching and then the cleaning of everything and then the canning and then, I mean, and filleting. And if you choose to do it yourself, it just, I mean, it just starts to add up to be a lot of work. Then you got to get rid of them. You know, you got to get rid of the, you know, the carcasses and everything. Mm. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a. Do they make good crab bait? Tuna? Tuna carcasses? Very oily, yeah. But yeah. it depends on what, you know, the, the seals will get your, yeah. They'll get your trap. Yeah, so it's, I'm more of a turkey leg kind of guy. So much better. Seals hate it. They don't eat it. They don't mess with your traps and tear them apart and stuff, mm -hmm. so. But bacon wrapped tuna on the Traeger is. Not terrible. <sighs> Not bad. <laughs> I thought you were going to say bacon wrapped tuna and the crab trap was really oh, good. No. I was like, what? Yeah. That would work. No. It would work. Yeah. Have you ever had fresh bacon wrapped tuna? No. Oh what? My gosh. No. You haven't had striper? You haven't had. Have you even lived? No. No. Yeah, no. he's a bass no. fisherman. No, the good old days, man. How's a largemouth? Big largemouth taste? I don't know. I've never eaten largemouth. Never have. I've eaten a smallmouth. Have you? Yeah, it was pretty good. It got force fed to me. Made you eat it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, made me eat it. Goodness gracious. Giannis Patelis. Really? Oh, really? Yeah. Made me eat a made me a fish sandwich. How big was it? <laughs> oh, it wasn't a big fish, and that's the deal with like smallmouth. So here's we're talking about like we were talking about this in the coquille. There's smallmouth in there now because somebody had put smallmouth in yeah. there, which is really unfortunate, you know. And it's proven science that you can't change the biomass of fish in the river, and what that biomass means for anybody who's listening and doesn't know it's like if you imagined all the fish in the river put into one bin and weighed on a scale you know like in a by pound the total amount of pounds of fish in a river of a species smallmouth proven science you can't change the biomass of so the fish displaces so other species well they eat themselves and like all you can do by lifting limits is make more small fish you know like because the big fish takes them longer to grow so if you start just lifting limits and keeping fish you'll be pulling out even though you're pulling out with let's say uh, no discrimination the fact that you pull those bigger fish out and, it, and you're pulling the smaller fish out you can imagine it takes the smaller fish a long time or longer time to get big eventually you'll just end up with a lot of small fish equaling the same amount of total weight which means even more small fish and the kind of messed up part about the proven science there is the at about, I think it's about 14 inches, smallmouth really start to predate more on crustaceans if they're in that system, like crawfish especially, and they focus less on the smolt. So by creating mm. more small fish, by lifting the limits, you have even more fish that are eating the smolt. Right. Interesting. Which They're is, and it's such a conundrum because also, well, they're not native, so you should try to catch them and take them out of the river. So it's like such a helpless dynamic. It really sucks. It was a bummer to hear that about the coquille. It's a it's a losing battle a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's there's biologists now, and I mean, ODF and W just put out a thing of you know please fish these, keep spear them all, spearfish spear spear fish them. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty crazy, but um, but yeah, it's and then, yeah, it's. But I guess you can you can look at it a couple ways. You can say oh and, and bitch about it, or we can go out and go have some fun spear fishing. Right, that would be a tough river to spearfish in, at least in the dirtier parts. Why it does right down here? Yeah, not spearfishing. He snorkels right down here in just, the clear parts uh, of the river. Yeah, there's some hogs. Really? Too. Yeah. Smallmouth. Yeah. yeah. Oh, there's some studs. Oh, just right down over the bank. Yeah. Yeah. But we just talked about you know the good old days. Why it's good old days might be spearing fish, right? You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. everybody's yeah. good old days is a little different, right? Yeah. So, oh, I can't believe somebody put spots in there. Now the smallmouth aren't going to do as well. Yeah, you know, like yeah, relative to the time. Exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's you know it's one of those things where it's you're going to make are you going to cry about or are you going to make lemonade, right? It's like the Columbia River, you know. That was the big, that's where I first sort of learned about that science as they were fighting on whether or not to lift the ban, uh, the limits on smallmouth in the Columbia because they're trying to do what they can to save 
the fish, you know. Not, gotcha. So really they're kind of pointing their finger at a bunch of different things instead of what a lot of us feel is the real core issue going mm-hmm. on on the Columbia. And so it's like, you know, oh, it's seals, or oh, it's cormorants, or oh, it's smallmouth, or oh, it's commercial fishing, or, you know, like just everybody's infighting. And as they lift the limits on smallmouth, which is a true world-class smallmouth fishery, the Columbia River is world-class. Is it really? Yes, absolutely. And you're not going to go to a place with prettier scenery. You're taking, and I think smallmouth have been in that system, I don't know, 80, 100 years. Like At some point you have to wonder, like, okay, yeah, I know they're an invasive species. They've been here for a lot longer than the salmon runs have not been good. Right. So, like, at what point do you say these fish, I'm not saying they have a right to exist, but we're going to treat this as a fish to be managed, especially when the science is that trying to manage it in that way is going to exacerbate the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully I don't get assassinated for saying this, but, you know, like, who who pays for the squawfish bounty? Bonneville Power. You know, like, what's the real problem going on on the Columbia? Money, you know, like, if we retain the water in the spring when the, to hold back for the power, which is the money, like, I'm talking electrical power, obviously. Yeah, sure, sure. Now we don't have the flows we need for the escapement, and so now those all those predators are able to really attack and get after all of the smolt or... Interesting. Yeah, so start to wonder where's the... Where's the real issue? Is it the, is it the, the squawfish, the pike minnow that's actually a native species that we're going to put a bounty on? Yeah. yeah. It. I mean that, but that's the economic deal of what everything drives this world. You know, mm-hmm. we live in today. Politics. I mean, natural resource. You know, whatever. Yeah. Pebble mine. You know, I mean, it's it's an economic driver. Of, how we get into some of the messes we get in. Oh, I just saw. Uh, I, I don't know if I'd just been ignoring the media because I've been so sick of all of the press, but, but it popped up in my feed the other day. I had no idea that they were as close as they were again to Pebblebine. Yeah. It just won't freaking go away. I see all those stickers all the time. Yeah. Pebblebine. Yeah. yeah, Bristol Bay, basically, is what they're... One of the last. Yeah, EPA was basically down to the point it looked like approving it almost, like in the final stages. And the fear of that just totally wiping, like Chell's livelihood gone. Wiping out a whole fishery. Yeah. One possibly. of the most beautiful last sort of bastions of salmon, Pacific salmon. Which, I mean, this is kind of an, like totally off topic, but, you know, talk about public land. Do you think public land is managed as well as private land in habitat and hmm. it depends I would say scenario to scenario um, it would be a total you know it'd be I don't know keeping it untouched right right if you're saying but if you suppress fires is that a you know having older older original timber stands whatever else is that and if you suppress fires is that as good as management as logging and utilizing the resource in a balance that would simulate what fires is an overall habitat for wildlife right i mean like what are you managing for right and i mean i'll be the first to admit as i say like whatever about bonneville like this that's speculation on my part i'm not a trained phd biologist you know it's just through a lifetime of observing what i think is right and wrong and that question you asked we were talking about this earlier on the river like i also like super armchair quarterback here Mm. i do not envy the job that has to be done by odf and w that has to be so complicated and then you start to add in like forestry and the management there and the relationship of all of these things trying to tie together. Well, it's just like here in Oregon, uh, private timberlands, generally speaking, whole is more desirable to hunt mm-hmm. than national forest, n- national forest or BLM stuff. Oh, I'm like, you know, because a lot of times during when the fire levels up at like four, they'll close a lot of the 
they will close a lot of those private areas down. Yeah. And then it's like national forest. You can still hunt national forest. I'm like, national forest? I kind of want to hunt national forest. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally get that. And I'm not, as like you're the, you would have, you guys have way more expertise on logging in that industry than I well, That's would. what I was going to say as far as not, not just the log. Well, yeah, that would be a huge to me, near and dear to my heart. But, and yeah, it's wildlife based and stuff like that. But if you want to look at it on a, different perspective what about you know all the tax dollars from logging from all the money that the state has timber to go to schools right to go to all these different things that they're you know they're that's what they're that's what that's for that's what it was for it's for what years. the elliot was for 100%. and then they stopped logging and, and then they and environmental then environmentalists said depreciated that you, yeah and then it was just like well they then they was going to sell it you know to different people well then it was like well you can't sell it we just don't want you to do anything with it, you know, and you can't manage it. And it's, it, it's just a slippery slope, I think. And, and wildlife sometimes take it in the shorts at the end of the thing, you know, because of it. But if you look at it from a different level, man, I mean, that's our kids is money, you know, screw an elk. I mean, that's my kids is school. You know, that's my kids is education and stuff. You know, where's the money going to come from at certain points? And so, and especially like a town like this, it's all built on timber dollars, everything, all these towns around here. And you just watch mill after mill after mill shut down really slowly, you know, and and then the money just kind of gets diverted to other places. And it's it's kind of sad to think about, I mean, going back to the good old days again, right? Yeah. The heydays. It could still be. I mean, we still, yeah, there's not like where there's any shortage of trees. There's more trees now than there ever was in the 60s and 80s. And, I mean, we plant back three times as many as we take, right? We so. talk about the good old days. Like, you, I know you're trying to you will be expanding into more waterfowl yep. stuff mm. like now probably is the good old days for waterfowl like in turkeys in turkey oh my gosh you know it's just crazy i is I waterfowl to, better now than 10 years ago well i'm thinking like 100 years ago or maybe more you know ducks yeah. unlimited is like the, the first to design that private conservation model oh, really? and there were no ducks you know like they were they almost market extinct hunted, like everything yeah for food for meat yeah ducks for meat almost not almost none left all the you know really? marshlands being destroyed and so the group of private citizens who cared about it got together created ducks unlimited and brought duck hunting and duck migration back and that's like you know <laughs> hunting is conservation because nobody cares more about it than those people whose yeah. livelihoods and passions more than livelihoods depend on it interesting i i never Never known the duck thing was like almost extinct. Yeah, no, I mean, and like you said, and within a hundred years, you know, or, or less, 50, 60 years, seventy years ago. So right now is the it's I've, heyday got time. Strong, strong I mean, almost every time we go out, we get a limit almost. Unless you bring me. <laughs> we shoot out a limit. We definitely <laughs> we shoot, shoot out a limit. This, this is a good. This is gonna be a good little segue. Is tell me about shotgunning with the non-dominant eye. This should be good. And the idea of uh, scotch tape on clear glasses. <laughs> How did that work out for well, you? Matt? It started with scotch tape. Yeah. Then it got heavier, I think. Yeah. Then it got a little bit of heavier tape. <laughs> uh, I, Not yeah. to drag you through the mud no, on this one. No, no, no. Yeah. It's totally fine. I so I'm cross-eye dominant, which means I'm I'm right hand dominant, left eye dominant. Yeah. So a, so am I. Just to throw that out. Yeah. Right-handed, left-eye dominant, and Trent is left-handed, right-eye dominant. But I shoot a shotgun right-handed. You shoot a left-handed. Shoot a left-handed. But I shoot is, a bow and a rifle left-handed too. Right. Which you you know that's probably the that's the right way to do it. You could say. You shoot a bow left-handed. I shoot a bow right-handed. I shoot. Sh I shoot a bow right-handed. I shoot a rifle right-handed. I shoot a pistol right-handed. I shoot a shotgun right-handed. I need to buy a left-handed shotgun because shotgun is the one you can't really adapt. Like rifle, for instance, it's got optics on it, so it's pretty easy for me to just look through the optic. I can either squint or I can run that two eyes open because once I put my right eye into the optic, it becomes my dominant eye in that sense. You know, I'm not gonna like try to be shoot instinctively and miss because of that because I've got something that's showing that okay. piece to me. Or like a bow, I'm looking through a sight. Yes, I, I on a bow I have to squint a little bit or I get a little bit of. I can't of shoot both eyes open with my bow. I have to, even though I'm dominant. You still shoot one eye closed. Yeah. yeah. And a lot of times I'll watch with both eyes. It's like the elk's coming in 
And then I'll close the eye as I need to start to focus on the sight picture and look for the shot. Hmm. On a pistol, you know, like I never had thought of this before. I, I got a pretty sweet like six hour private instruction from a guy that was on terminal leave, which means he had enough vacation time to work through the end to the end of his retirement and the third ranger battalion. He was like the Legit. head firearms and he was, the, he was the head firearms instructor. He had taken every shooting class that the United States army had to offer. I watched that guy shoot his pistol. This was like at 10 yards, but I watched him shoot his pistol at a target. My buddy I was with who served in Ranger Battalion with him like really early on, like taps me on the shoulder. I was talking to him, like points over. And I look and this guy shoots like two, three rounds and basically makes one hole through the center of the target and continues to shoot. And all that you saw was dust fly up behind the target. Never hit the paper again. I'm talking like a dime sized hole. Really? Yeah, so he's like, I'm like, I'm cross-eyed dominant, and he's like, whatever, dude. You know, like, I'll show you. Don't worry. So what he t showed me to do, and he said he does this with guys in Ranger Battalion, at least when he was doing the training, you just can't the gun. You know, instead of having your pistol straight vertical, just tip it left so it's in my right arm, my right hand, and I can run both my eyes open, and, and I tilt it 30 degrees, and then the sights of the gun are in my left eye. Interesting, because I shoot a pistol actually with my right hand on it, but basically, right. So instead move, of move, instead of moving to your cheek, you want to be center mass with both your arms locked out. You just tip your gun thirty degrees left, and then it's in your left eye. I'll keep note of that if a grizzly charges this year. Yes, I don't. I think. <laughs> Okay, as I throw charging, the I think the, left tilt and... I think the gang member tilting the gun is going to be out of the question at that point. <laughs> That's right? a little far on the tilt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Not, not, not straight I think 90. it's going to be how many times can you pull that trigger. But, but yes, on, on the shotgun, because you have to run it two eyes open and it's instinctive. For me, it's very difficult. I, you know, my left eye takes over and depending if it's a right or a left swing, I always end up in front of or behind the target. And so another guy who was... Benchmade used to make a knife for USA shooting, just like the Olympic the kids that go to the Olympics to shoot shotgun and air pistol and all of that. Uh, really cool dude. His name is Buddy Duvall. I think maybe now still works for the Wild Sheep Foundation. He said that what they would do, they had shooters, like Olympic level shooters that were left eye dominant, right handed, and they would put tape, a piece of scotch tape over pair of shooting glasses. Eye. Trent's smiling at me right now. I this am not ridiculous. smiling. I just saw a butterfly <laughs> and I was just looking at it. I'm not laughing. <laughs> and so we went, you know, I thought I'd try this. It was like the last trick up my sleeve before I decided, no, I really need to buy left-handed shotguns. So I came, shoot, we went duck hunting last year and I showed up with my glasses with tape on them and it, it did not work. A couple all. boxes later. I think I shot a box and a half of black cloud. <laughs> <laughs> AKA about $35. With, yes. With like a very nice choke in the gun. There are no excuses. Had a great break on the gun. And I think I shot three birds for like a box and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Zero animals were harmed in the And I'm still not entirely video. sure that like why it didn't actually shoot those ducks. You know, I don't know. I think it was the gun. Had to have been. Oh, always, yeah. Had to have been the gun. Model 870, you should have went there. Yeah. I did once have a Benelli Nova that I was okay with. Yeah, I still got one. Yeah, really? It's a good gun. I was okay with that gun. But I know it's not the gun. I need to practice, and I need to buy a left-handed gun. I could shoot my Stoger left-handed, but... Just have I, one kick. Yeah. That's what, I mean, I always had a right-handed... This, this shotgun, that Benelli, I bought a couple... Two, year and a half ago. That was the first shotgun I bought left-handed. I'd always had one kick out right, but I shot pumps, so it wasn't as big a deal. What's the deal with that? It can hit you or something? Well, no, it's just that powder. Like, sometimes you get that unburnt powder or whatever, you know. Oh, really? But yeah, you'll just get some gas and anything else, you know, especially with an auto deal. Interesting. And the gun is designed to be operated. That way. Where you can hold on your shoulder on a right-handed gun, the action's on the left, so you can jack your right, rounds yeah. and push all the buttons that you need to so with your left hand while keeping it in your shoulder pocket. Right. Yeah. Essentially, it's safer. Yeah. Too. Safer, yeah. faster. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I got you. More intuitive. Yeah, I got you. It did take me about a good, good while to figure that gun out, though, just from shooting. <laughs> it was like, 
auto loader. Boom, boom, boom. Oh, I guess I should have like actually taken my time on that. Don't even aim. Three and out. It was, if I did not shoot three shots at every go, I'm doing something wrong. That's what I've always said. Yeah. You know what's worse though, is then going from an auto to a pump and. Do you just sit there? Especially when you're a guy like me where I really have to spray and pray. You know, and I need to fire three rounds, you know, to Really to need hope. to fire three rounds. What I need to do is is put my time in like I do with other things. It's just, you know, everything is time. And do you ever do the skeet time. thing? I don't duck hunt that much either. Yeah. I duck right. hunt like once a it's year. It's tough. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to do that. Skeet would be a good idea. Uh, yeah. I think it'd be a blast. Yeah. I think it'd be fun for all of us to go and just. So much crap. I guess there's a good spot up. up there on up by Florence. Oh, th- there's one up in uh cottage grow or cresswell yeah they have a whole thing that you can walk a whole course you walk and there's you know oh, the sporting clays course yeah, yeah. yeah. and yeah, the yeah. rabbits running on the ground and it just sounds like a like something we could all of us can oh, compete gosh. at i think it would be a blast so they had we used to have this event in the shooting industry called shooting industry masters it was like the best thing ever and it went away i wish it didn't go away but what what shooting industry masters was is it was like all these different companies, you know, like whether it was Benelli or Benchmade or Beretta or some other shooting company with a B name, you know, everybody would like field teams, not just B names, but you know, like yeah, Taurus, whatever. Everybody would field of. teams of to represent them to represent their companies. And these are like sometimes somebody might bring a ringer, you know, like they might it's like Sig might have a dude like uh, Daniel Horner. Yeah. 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 Or Max Michel, you know, yeah. would come shoot on the team and just, like, take them to the limit. But we'd all go and compete against each other in these ridiculous Just like a pro-am, a little yes, bit. Yes, yeah. <laughs> that or, would be or just, so fun. Or some teams would be actual pros and some would be amateurs. I think there was a pro and an amateur class. But Sporting Clays was, that was would definitely be fun. one of the events. Did you go? Oh, yeah, I went three different years. My favorite event they ever had. So you had the main events, and then the brands would also put on stuff. Like Benchmade, we would do, like throwing axes or uh, throwing daggers oh, cool. and which was a cool event it was actually more popular than i would have imagined it to be when we thought it up because it was an event where guns weren't going off so you could take a break take your ear pro out eye pro out go over and just hang out with your buddies and throw axes which is you know they have whole bars based on that stuff and yeah talk to each other you know yeah my favorite event of all time was at a place called Mammoth Caves? It's it's near Mammoth Caves, Kentucky. I don't remember the exact name of the range. Really cool range. But they have all these caves there. And one of the manufacturers put on a deal where we ran through an underground cavern with laser-lighted pistols. I'm all in. And shot bleeding zombie targets running full speed through, you know, in a rock cavern. It felt so sketchy. And there was a dude behind you with a light and a timer as you're running through this turning corners shooting zombie targets with la- like so laser, laser registered with clocks you know like yeah 45s and 9s and yeah not li- no we're live rounds oh in the cave i'm saying laser and lights you gotcha. know for sights on the guns as we're running full speed shooting live rounds inside of a rock cavern at bleeding zombie targets whoa I don't know how no one what's, ever died. Well, I was going to say, what's, <laughs> yeah, the, what's the safety ordinance yeah. on something like that? I think, I don't Zero? know. Zero? Yeah. That's so awesome. Yeah. It does sound. Not was, terrible. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, it was Rock awesome. Rock Castle Shooting Center. Really? Yeah. Huh. So would that, it wouldn't be all held in the same spot. You had to. It would travel around. It was in Cody, Wyoming one year. Okay. Rock Castle was cool because there was like I think a golf course there, so everybody had golf carts and it was very well set up for it. Yeah. Yeah. And they'd have three gun deals where you'd shoot pistol targets and then have to lay down and get behind a long gun and execute some shots on moving steels at 200 yards. Just it actually was a really fun way to go try different stuff and hone in your shooting skills. That three gun stuff to watch is it's pretty unbelievable. Like watching Horner. Have you ever seen Daniel do some stuff that Daniel Horner, like on YouTube? Uh, no, no, but you I gotta, love Daniel you, Horner. You got to YouTube him. Like, it is... John Wick? Dude, status. oh yeah, yeah, this one, this yeah. one. That, uh, yeah. Dude, this the, one the offhand competition, knife. he just, it was shooting long distance, you know, they were long ranges, so it was like a thousand yard shots, and he would just run up to the, to the zone, you know, and lay down, 
and shoot and, and then they have a spotter hit. you know hit 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 and then he just steps up he just he gets up i swear it's with his gun he gets up he just stands up on his feet puts his forearm right underneath this is a thousand top. yards uh, 900, 900 it was 900 yards boom and it takes a while pretty soon the guy goes hit like that and the whole crowd just like are you kidding me right now <laughs> offhand yeah. offhand 900, 900 yards. yards yeah it's you just look it up on youtube he's got a bunch of them and, and he does some training stuff and and but getting a meeting this last year and hang out with him he is a just heck a, of a dude such a great yeah. dude but we got on some go-karts there because we were at the sports show he it's a mind frame those kind of people have a different he's mind got a frame. switch doesn't he dude it's competitive like from the word go and he won i think the whole yeah i was sick that was when i had to stay yeah and uh oh that's right yeah and my ankle was all screwed up so i I was i was just a commentator which was fun but um but yeah i mean he he was just like i I don't care if it's guns go-karts i don't care what it is there's no friendship here we're gonna do this you know it was it was pretty impressive and then you know obviously afterwards we were all just having fun and hanging out but is that when casey hawks t-bone that that's exactly when casey hawks t-boned that that lady that really nice lady yeah <laughs> just broke her neck oh pert near broke her neck Full blew the speed. tire out just just right in sideways blew her tires out and everything and, and then he's broke down he comes in he walks over to me he goes i'm not gonna lie I'm trying to feel kind of bad for that one <laughs> could have killed her yeah no it was good it was good Man, I, it was that fun. is my favorite thing about working in the shooting sports and hunting industry is the people are so nice and everybody shares a common bond whether yeah. you know like if you hunt you, you know you you have an appreciation for shooting guns you know if you're a professional shooter sometimes you hunt if you don't you can still relate to a hunter yeah yeah you know, or a fisherman the chase and the adventure we talked about yeah you know, at the beginning of this podcast like that all everybody has this thread or this connection that gives you if you allow it to an instant reason to find a sense of familiarity with each other as opposed to people are so apt in this day and age and i think in general because the way we're programmed to like not get killed by saber-toothed tigers and whatnot to instead focus on how we're different oh so it's nice to have that automatic bonding experience you know like if you're at a you know like i have some of my best friends like friend john martin he we were at like some high school party and he heard me talking about bass fishing, you know, and he was like, you know, he came over, you like fishing? You know, he just started talking. We'd gone to high school together for a long time, but had no idea. And he was just hardcore salmon fisherman. You know, it was the guy that introduced me to the coquille. He and his dad, he caught his first salmon when he was three years old. He later in life ended up getting me a job guiding in Alaska, you know, like all because I was talking about fishing at some party. Yeah. And he, you know, <laughs> drinking beer, just to drink beer sucks, but drinking beer and talking about fishing is pretty sweet. Both of them are actually not that bad, but oh, fishing is probably okay. on the better side. I take that yeah. back. I'll drink beer and I was gonna say. mow the lawn or whatever. <laughs> yeah. See? I mean, there's plenty of things. So many activities. It is better to oh, talk dog about and fishing, fishing and I, drink beer together. I would agree. Right. I would agree. You got me on that one. <laughs> no, we've talked about it all. I think we've covered a lot of different <laughs> gamuts here. I think we've really uh, made there some There's really no main mission on this no we didn't have a real real. the the complicated and nonsensical mind no but i I think the takeaways from this is like live your best life right live your best life and and you know make it make it the heyday you know everybody can talk about it i guess but what holds you back from making it the heyday this is the heyday for you know whatever it may be the fear of failure is what holds people back in life yeah yeah Yeah. and everything could be you know every everybody's heyday i guess could be different you know maybe it's your heyday to take people out in the woods and adventures and make them experience new things that's that's one of my goals actually like for this year like an elk season is i you know so much as i don't have to have a bow in my hand you know at all this year but just being there and that's what the kind of cool thing about what we do is like the guy that calls it in killed it and the guy that filmed it and got the whole shot and everything and got the whole hunt on film he killed it and you know and i mean it just goes through the whole thing the guy that planned the trip that you know that everybody you know logistically he's the one that was successful too it's not just the guy pulling the bow back and shooting mm-hmm. shooting an arrow so i mean it's uh it's cool it's it's a real it's def- like 
definitely our elk, you know. It is. It's everyone's yeah. elk. Remember that time we killed that bull here? You know, remember that time we shot that deer, we caught that fish? Yeah. Take, One thing, take the I and put the we in, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's the same thing with leadership, man. Yeah. Yeah. Takes takes a lot of people to get takes the flag to the top. Everybody is a leader. Yeah. 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 On it on a team, for sure. Yeah. So with that, guys, hey, Matt's got to go climb a mountain, which I think is ridiculous, but <laughs> that's another thing. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> got to go conquer a 14,000 or... Yeah, 14,000 feet. I've never been... Well, actually, I was on a plane the other day. Yes, I have, but... Yeah, it was it, 20. I, yeah. <laughs> it was only in a plane. So seems seems excessively high to me in 109 degree temperatures. Hey, man, you got to put yourself in harm's way and... Give yourself the opportunity to appreciate the little things, even if that's, you know, being able to take one more step without throwing up. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not do that, okay? Let's yeah. not do that. Oh, man. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to this. And uh, any closing comments? Matt, you've got this. Oh, closing thoughts. I am, you know, as I was, as I was thinking about this, I, I don't know why this thought came to my head, but and I just said you got to appreciate the little things. But that would be my goal for this year. I've noticed that the best, the toughest people, the best hunters, the, adv- the best adventurers I know, what makes them stand out unanimously is that they have an appreciation for the small things, for the little things. You know, so just appreciate the little things and be grateful. That's awesome. my goal for this season. Cody? Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think um, like every year, it's just that the embracing of the unknown, right? And the cool thing this year, going to share the elk woods with someone new, which is exciting for me, someone that hasn't hunted a lot of elk or has only been around it a couple times. So, and I, I experienced that last year with like Zach with Hunting Public when we went. It was his first time in the elk woods and all the things that I've taken for granted unknowingly, you know, but I just kind of took for granted those experiences, um, really kind of reinvigorated me in that sense. Like when he, you know, he was like, the goal was to get him a bull to respond, not, and when he bugled and a bull answered back, like the look and excitement in his face, like to go do that again this year, pretty excited. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. How about yourself? Me? Oh, nothing. I've already said everything. I need to say, yeah, not much. No, the little thing. I, I would totally agree. I, I do think a lot of the things that, um, like Matt said, you know, it's, and you said it both, it's the little things. It's, and it's the attention to detail that maybe over the time that we've lost, maybe. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Maybe it could be some guy that, you know, it's his first time. Bivy, you know, we, we experienced that a lot, taking guys for the first time that, you know, they, they are scared as hell to go out there and spend a night with everything on their back and think they have everything in line where we're just like, ah, you just throw this in and throw this. We need some food. We got to warm it up somehow. You know what I mean? And uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's definitely. I, yeah. Watching Jake and Tyler this year is going to be fun too. It is. It's yeah. going to be a blast. I, I'm going to really enjoy just watching their journey, taking two new cameramen that have never heard an elk bugle ever before. And uh, that journey's just in itself is going to be, I think, a blast. So. But anyway, enjoy the little things in life. I will. Because life too. is not that doggone long. I promise you. It is not. Take risks. Take educated, safe risks, but take risks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you guys so much for listening to this. I uh, hope you guys got something out of it. It's been great catching up with Matt again. And um, anyway, hope to have him back here shortly sometime soon. So There's More fishing to be done. 100%. There's more in there. I guarantee it. Yeah. We'll see you.